So today we're um, get look at our syllabus. Um, talking from private property to the common good is what I titled it. Uh, we're going to talk about money. Um, we're going to talk about money because um, Luke Acts talks about money. Um, you may remember that Luke's gospel deals more with issues of money um, than any other uh, of the any other New Testament document. And Acts is not, um, while they're both written by the same person, um, as I mentioned last week, the clue is in both books at the very beginning of the book. It's dedicated to uh, somebody named Theophilus. Theophilus means lover of God, Theos, God, Phileo, like Philadelphia, brotherly love. So lover of God, and that's a suspicious name, which means, so it might have been that there was somebody actually named Theophilus, um, who may have been a patron of Luke's, but um, just as likely, and, we, and maybe both at once, um, Theophilus is a stand-in for all lovers of God who want to be more deeply instructed in the ways of Christian thought and Christianity. Um, so um, without more ado, let's jump in. Last, last week, you'll remember, we talked about this is all about change, um, conversion stories in the book of Acts as we as we. Uh, that's been your theme for the year, and I'm happy to plug into it. The Bible is all about change and all about how to handle change. Um, so it was that was pretty easy for me to say, sure, we can do something here. Um, and so we'll we'll um, uh, take a look today at, at at a particular kind of change, a mental change, a a spiritual change that has to do with our stuff. Um, so let's take a look at um, Acts 2, um, 43 to 47 first. Where you can see already that um, this change is not a change that is initiated by human beings. Um, this is it's an amazing way of, of hearing this I'm just going to read you this paragraph um, and um, so we're in Acts 2 43 to 47 awe came upon everyone because many wonders and signs were being done by the apostles and you could add another because and because all who believed were together and had all things in common they used to sell their possessions and goods and distribute the proceeds to all as any had need. Day by day, as they spent much time together in the temple, they broke bread at home or possibly from house to house and ate their food with glad and generous hearts, sincere, generous hearts, praising God and having the goodwill of all the people. And day by day, the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. There's, there's so much in there that, that to talk about. Um, the first thing is that is the the idea of awe. Um, awe is happens when God is involved. <laughs> um, so the the uh, signs and wonders are do, are being done by the apostles. This is surrounded by stories of of uh, Peter and and um, James healing people. Um, uh, and also confronting the authorities, they're, they're, um, uh, they, they're, we're going to talk next week about from timid disciples to bold witnesses. So we'll, we'll leave those, that part of the story until next week. Uh, but the things that people who, who 
were powerless are suddenly acting as if they had power and authority. And the apostles are doing things that are not humanly possible, like, like healing people um, or, or, um, or converting, converting others. Um, and awe is also coming upon them because of what they're doing with their money. All who believed were together and had all things in common. Um, this is not the way we usually live. It's not the way people back then usually lived. Um, private property is not particularly a new idea, um, although the, some of the ways in which it's understood in the modern world are new. But um, the, there's an idea that I have this stuff, you have this stuff, this person has this stuff, this is, we have stuff. Um, but in this case, yes, sometimes too much stuff, right? Yeah, um, <clears throat> I'm still recovering from moving, uh, so I, I'm uh, very aware of that. Um, but in this case, people pooled their things, uh, not just because it would be better financially for them to do so, it wasn't a corporation, uh, but because um, they, they understood that the things they had were in service to God and for a, a, better, a better cause, a more important cause. So as a need came up, they, somebody would offer something that, had, that was extra or, um, or not, um, not needed anymore, uh, and they would be able to convert that into, into cash for whatever, whatever they needed it for. So and distribute that to the proceeds to all as any had need. So what drove this arrangement then was the need around them. Um, and so they were known as a community that, that had no poor because everybody was taken care of. Now, that sounds immediately we go communism, right? Um, socialism. Um, and while we may cast an admiring eye up to Canada uh, or the UK when it comes to health care, at least right now we do. Um, there um, there are, are also, there's no such thing as a perfect governmental system um, trying to figure out how to take care of those who have the least um, without um, taxing to death those who have the most. There's, a, there's some kind of a, a, a give and take in all systems about how to do that and debate about how to do that. Um, but this is an early form of, of socialism in the sense that um, they, there's, an, uh, there's an understanding that those who are in trouble uh, deserve and need the help of the rest of the community. Um, this, the very fact that it is not what people normally do is, I think, what, what caused the Lord to add to their number day by day those who are being saved. It's the easiest form of mission is to do something so remarkable that people come to your church to see what it is you're doing. What, 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 makes, them, what makes them able to do this when um, the rest of us struggle to let go of, any of anything that we have? Um, so how, how is it possible that they have been changed in this way? So that's why I say that, that the awe that is appropriate for the work of God um, applies just as much to the signs and wonders being done by the apostles as to the fact that people were willing to share their possessions uh, to make sure that no one who was needy um, continued to be in need. Um, and this is, it's not, that's not just all they were doing. They were also praying to God. That's what the spending time together in the temple is about. And breaking bread, that's probably an early reference to the Eucharist. 
Um, <clears throat> and they were happy. Uh, they were they were with with glad and and generous hearts. Um, they praised God and they had the <clears throat> goodwill or admiration of the people around them. Um, if you can can think of a community that <clears throat> has that reputation, um, it's a place where where people want to go and find out how they do that. I mean, I, I know people make pilgrimages to Teze, especially young people, uh, because they've heard so much about how people from from many different languages can come together and and uh, and sing together. Um, so Teze is like a magnet that draws young people to come and to come and see how that works. How how are they doing that in France? Um, there's a you know Teze chants probably without knowing that you know them. Um, so, uh, but um, <clears throat> they they didn't start out being a, a something to sing in church. They started out being a community for to. to um, to empower young people to be witnesses for Jesus Christ, and so people who go there to Teze, I've never, I haven't been yet. That's a, another place I'd love to go someday, um, but it's, um, it's a, it's that's the kind of thing I think of, um, or the Church of the Savior here in Washington D.C. is a um, another place that's that's become a, a community where people from all over the country and even all over the world go because they have been able, to, with their small group of people, to found so many ministries in the inner city that have endured and lasted and done good things. So it's a, it's a model of church where the, um, the focus is on doing, um, listening to the Spirit, doing what, the, what, um, what they believe God wants them to do, and doing it so thoroughly that other people get excited about it and come to them. They don't need to go out to to recruit people. People come to them. And as I say, it's in some ways the most efficient uh, form of evangelism uh, is just to be do, to be doing something so remarkable um, that people come to you. Um, so that's the description we have about the the church, the early church. And then we have another one at the end of of chapter four. Skip over a couple of stories about Peter's preaching and. Um, <clears throat> And, and conflicts with the authorities that we'll come back to next week um, and come to 4.32. Well, maybe we'll back up a, just a verse or two just so you can get the feeling for it. When they had prayed, 4.31, when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God with boldness. Now we have another description of the life of the community and with attention to its finances. Now the whole group of those who believed were of one heart and soul and no one claimed private ownership of any possessions but everything they owned was held in common. Again, I don't think this means that they... That they um, that that, that everything was a commune in the sense that nobody owned anything, but as um, as a need came up, they made it available to the community. Uh, so they were willing to let go of the claim of private ownership and put everything at the service of the community as the community needed it. With great power, the apostles gave their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was among them all because... Because it's been left out there, but it's there in the Greek. Because there was not a needy person among them, great grace was among them all. And the the sign of that, the indication of that, is because there was not a needy person among them. For as many as owned lands or houses 
sold them, and brought the proceeds of what was sold. They laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as any had need. Again, same pattern that we just saw in in uh, Acts 2, the end of 2. Um, so they're going about their, their work, their, their business, giving testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. That's their, their primary focus, um, but also caring for the poor. And so um, there, there aren't poor among them. They laid the proceeds at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as any had need. For example, there was a Levite, a native of Cyprus, Joseph, to whom the apostles gave the name Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, bar, son of, nabas, encouragement, son of encouragement. He sold a field that belonged to him and then brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. Uh, Now, before we get to Ananias and Sapphira in a minute, I will go there just one second. Um, I just wanted to do a flashback to a couple of the stories in Luke's gospel um, that show... Um, how our author understands some of the traps of wealth. Um, money is not bad in itself. Luke is clear about that because we have people uh, who have houses. Um, Barnabas has, has, uh, has land. Um, he has a house. That he sold a field that belonged to him. It doesn't say that he sold everything he had. Um, so people they meet in people's houses, so they must have houses. Um, and there's this, there's, but there's a spirit of generosity where people sit loosely to the things they have when they think about what the what the church needs to to do its its work to care for the poor and to preach the the resurrection of Jesus. Um, Luke has some some other stories that are um, more helpful to understand something about how wealth can be a peril or a liability as well as an asset to be used for the church. And it's useful to look at those for a minute, too. So we're going to look at two of those. Uh, we won't do the whole Gospel of Luke, but we'll look at two that, that, um, that are useful to, to just in that context, how wealth can be a danger as well as an opportunity for spiritual growth. Look at Luke 12. <clears throat> It's so nice to be in a church where you don't have to tell people where Luke 12 is. I can just say, go to Luke 12, and I know you'll find it. So we're in Luke 12:13. Someone in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the, the family inheritance with me. But he said to him, Friend, who set me to be a judge or arbitrator over you? And he said to them, Take care. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. All right, so let's just stop for a minute. Um, He's not saying watch um, watch out for money, but watch out for greed. Okay. One's life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. That's the negative. One's life consists in the abundance of what? We might fill in the blank very differently, especially after hearing the rest of the story. Then he told them a parable. The land of a rich man produced abundantly, and he thought to himself, What should I do, for I have no place to store my crops? Then he said, I know what I'll do. 
I'll pull down my barns and build larger ones, and then I will store all my grain and my goods, and I will say to my soul, Soul, you've got it made. You've got ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry, be an Epicurean. That's the slogan of the Epicurean uh, group. Uh, But God said to him, You fool. This very night your life is being demanded of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So it is with those who store up treasures for themselves but are not rich toward God. And then we have a long passage that is also in something that very much like this is in Matthew. So I tell you, don't worry about your life, what you'll eat, about your body, what you'll wear. Life is more than food. The body is more than clothing. Look at the ravens. They don't sow. They don't reap. They don't have storehouses and barns. God feeds them. You're worth a whole lot more than birds are. And can any of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your span of life? No, but you can shorten it by worrying. If then you are not able to do so small a thing as that, why do you worry about the rest? Look at the lilies, how they grow. They don't toil or spin. But even Solomon, with all his beautiful clothes, didn't look as good as they do. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, very temporary, how much more will he clothe you, you of little faith? And don't keep striving for what you're to eat and what you're to drink. Don't keep worrying. It's the Gentiles, the nations of the world, that strive after these things. Your Father knows that you need them. Instead, strive for his kingdom. Seek ye first the kingdom of God. And these things will be given to you as well. Don't be afraid, little flock. Sell your possessions. Give alms. Make purses for yourselves that do not wear out an unfailing treasure in heaven where there aren't any thieves and there aren't any moths. Where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Um, So we have a teaching and a parable together here. Um, The the idea, though, that someone has plenty of stuff already but, but then has a really good year um, and uh, doesn't know where to put all the all the wheat that has has come to him. How it's a, a windfall more than he expected. Uh, what to do? Tear down the barns, build bigger barns, store more. Martin Luther King Jr. preached on this on this parable, and he said, "I know where you can store all that grain. How about putting it in the bellies of poor kids all around the world? Wouldn't that be a good place to store it?" He's probably right. Um, so. Um, so this is one of the things that Luke has taught in his gospel, um, and of which Acts is book two. So we would have already heard this by the time we get to the story of, um, of the early church and their, the way they were decided to handle money uh, and the, the, um, not, to, not to put more, accumulate more in the places where there are already enough. Uh, this, this, the man in this story had, had plenty. Um, and, and here we have two people arguing over the inheritance, wanting Jesus to settle the, um, to settle the question. And um, darned if we still don't have um, one, of the, one of the hazards of having a death in the family is that suddenly brothers and sisters um, and cousins and nephews and nieces who got along just fine can, can uh, do, start doing and saying strange things. Maybe you've seen it yourself. Um, so um, there's there's something that happens to us around around possessions where they begin to possess us, and this is a warning against 
greed. Uh, not against not against having having things or have even have, having beautiful things, but having a warning against having more than you need, so much that you have to to, to build more uh, build more places to store. There's that should be a warning sign, uh, according to this parable. Yeah. Getting a different impression from the interpretation of what Jesus said. Uh, it seems that you're saying these people have wealth and they retain their wealth, but they give up their wealth when they see a need, and they only give up enough to fill the need. Now, many religions, like the Hindus, for example, believe you have to give up all possessions and just go and beg, and the Holy Person does. And we have some of that in Luke as well. There is also the pattern of. of um, um, the, the story of the of the rich young man in all three synoptic gospels, where Jesus says, "Give it all up, give it to the poor, and come follow me," and that's the that's the story that Francis Sinclair heard, um, and and many other mendicant orders that that um, that beg um, that have given up all their property and are dependent entirely on the the charity of others. It's another model. It's in Luke. It's one of several. Um, but uh, but our focus today is on is on uh, on stories that have to do with the dangers of wealth. So not that, that don't require um, not the dangers of wealth, but the dangers of an attitude towards wealth that can be um, fatal. But, but the point here is you're not giving up wealth because they want to get rid of wealth. You're giving up wealth because they're trying to meet a need. Right. That's the that's the point of the Luke 2 and 4 that we just that we read first this I think back going back to Luke there's something else going on in this parable not all stories have the same point it's not like Luke is making the same point over and over again he it's like he's turning it's an issue of how do Christians deal with with issues of wealth um, and and looking at it from several different angles and so we don't want to put him in a box where he can only say one thing and um, if we did, the thing he, he the one thing he would probably say we wouldn't like much, um, but um, we don't have to, we don't have to hear it that way. There's a whole variety of patterns in Luke Acts, um, and I'm trying to talk about some of them. But yes, there is that other pattern, and some people are called to that. Um, I don't know. I, I we could we could talk about how you discern a call in that. Um, for Francis, it was really clear. It was liberating for him um, to to to, um, to do that. It had probably also had something to do with with the, the the previous lifestyle he had. He was a party, a total party animal, um, and he his way of getting free of that and turning his attention to to more serious things. In other words, he grew up um, was to to uh, give away all the things that he had had in, enjoyed the. The, the high status clothes, the the, um, the the lifestyle of the rich and famous, and and to give all that away and focus some somewhere else. And he and I think he knew he was wise enough to know that if he had to get completely free of it, he had had to get completely free of it. And um, and that pattern has worked for other people who found that they were addicted in one way or another. Um, most of us are addicted to things in, to some kind of thing, if we're not very careful. We can kid ourselves that we've that we, we make, make some kind of a deal with our addiction and and don't uh, really deal with it. I mean, don't I mean, we, we we let it we let it win sometimes. You know. So power or um, appreciation, pleasing people, um, 
um, money, food, um, alcohol, or drugs, or whatever. Uh, there are all kinds of, of ways of being caught by, by, by powers. Um, and sometimes you have to cold, go cold turkey, and that's what Francis did. Um, and it may be that, that – um, and, and that model is worth, worth holding up, um, and it's held up in Luke. But it's, it's, the, it's not the only one. I mean, it's, sometimes when people think about what the, what the church or what the um, New Testament says about money, that's all they think of. And that's the only model they have. And what I'm trying to say is that there are, it's much more subtle than that. Um, it's, the statement, one's life does not consist in the abundance of possessions, is an invitation to, to think, okay, what does one's life consist of? Um, what is it that is, what is it that makes life worth living? It isn't our stuff. Um, and so it was, it's just um, a, a question. That's what, that's what parables do. They, take, they tell a little story and take us to a place where, where we would probably not have wandered by ourselves and ask us to look, to look at this and then to ask ourselves some questions about what we really believe, what we really think. Um, they don't impose an idea. They ask questions. And then, but if we're listening, we often decide we want to change about something. Namely, our th- so this is our theme. That's why I, why I brought it up because I think it's um, this is one of the areas in which um, you know when we go through our, the stages of our lives, there's sometimes things where we have to change, we're forced to change, and sometimes it's very hard. Um, retirement is one of those those times where, um, especially if there's an, uh, a mandatory retirement age, some of you will run into that, and some of you will not, depending on what your your occupation is, what your your vocation is. Um, and uh, so suddenly, you're, one day, all of your status, your your self-identity, the way you understand yourself, the way you spend your time, the people you spend it with, is there, and the next day, it's gone, and it's all different. And um, they give you a watch, and maybe a party, and um, and suddenly you're on your own trying to figure out, well, who am I now? I used to know who I was. Now I don't know who I am anymore. And it takes some time. That the hardness of that could be minimized. I'm not saying avoided entirely, but could be minimized if we were more reflective about who we are and realized that I am not the same thing as my job. In our culture, it's very easy to believe that we are the same thing as our job. But if we got clearer about that earlier, um, it might make retirement easier, just an example. There are other examples as well. Um, mar- marital status. Um, uh, if, if, our, if all of our identity is tied into the fact that we're married to someone and then something happens, death, divorce, um, separation of some kind, um, it can be really hard. All of a sudden we're trying to figure out again, who are we? Who am I now? Um, and so these, these things are, um, if, if we get clear about our, who our, what our identity is in God, or our identity in Jesus Christ, it will be easier for us. Not that that's the point of it, that, that it should be easier for us, but it's a byproduct that's worth noticing. Um, um, so let's go back to the, let's go back to the text. You'd much rather hear from the Bible than from me. Um, Luke um, 16 is the next place to go. Another little story that makes makes us think. 
Luke 16:19. There was a rich man who was dressed in purple, which means he was really rich because it takes um, uh, lots and lots of tiny little sea creatures to make enough juice um, to make the to make purple. Um, the fact that in, in Acts that Lydia was a dealer in purple meant that she had wealthy clientele. Uh, there was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen and who feasted sumptuously every day, a different restaurant every day. <laughs> and at his gate lay a poor man named Lazarus covered with sores. The rich man is not named in this story. Lazarus, and the name is it's from Eliezer, it means God helps. And at the beginning of the story, it doesn't look like God is helping much. At his gate lay a poor man named Lazarus covered with sores who longed to satisfy his hunger with what fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs would come and lick his sores. Um, Probably not a help. (laughs) The poor man died and was carried away by the angels to be with Abraham. The rich man also died and was buried. No angels, no bosom of Abraham. In Hades, where he was being tormented, he looked up and saw Abraham far away with Lazarus at his bosom. The the translators change it to by his side because they can't deal with the word bosom. Um, But you can, I'm sure. So we're going to go back to what it actually says in in the text. He called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am in agony in these flames. But Abraham said, Child, remember that during your lifetime you received your good things, and Lazarus in like manner evil things. But now it's all been reversed. Now he is comforted here, and you are in agony. Not only that, but besides all this, between you and us a great chasm has been fixed. There's a grand canyon, so that those who might want to pass from here to you cannot do so, and no one can cross from there to us. So I couldn't send you Lazarus even if I wanted to. (laughs) Then he said, Father, I beg you, send him to my father's house. I have five brothers that he may warn them so that they may not also come into this place of torment. Um, This is a story, not a history. So the five brothers may stand for the five books of the Pentateuch. Five is, again, a, a suspicious number for people who know the Hebrew Bible. Um, that he may warn them that I may that, that so that they will not come into this place of torment. Abraham Abraham replied, "They have Moses and the prophets. They should listen to them. Well, if they do listen to Moses and the prophets, they will get a great deal of information about um, not gleaning all the way to the edges of the of the field, leaving some for the poor in Leviticus, um, uh, not not moving boundary markers." Um, caring for the widow and orphan and the stranger in the land. Um, And all the prophets are all about um, fair play in terms of economic justice. They have Moses and the prophets. They should listen to them. He said, no, Father Abraham, they won't. (laughs) But, But if someone goes to them from the dead, then they will repent. Abraham is skeptical. He says to him, if they don't listen to Moses and the prophets, neither will be they neither will they be convinced even if someone rises from the dead jab because of course someone has risen from the dead and so um, when we hear this story as as uh, followers of Jesus Christ who has risen from the dead 
we go, okay, uh, are we listening to Moses and the prophets? Are we being convinced even if someone rises from the dead? It's, an, again, an invitation to discernment, an invitation, um, this, this little parable, to look in the, in the mirror and see uh, the poor that are lying at our gates. Um, challenging parable, that's the only kind Jesus told as far as I can see. Um, but a, a whole little story that I think is the basis for uh, Charles Dickens' A Christmas Carol. You remember how that ends. Um, as, the, uh, as Ebenezer Scrooge is dealing with the ghost of things yet to come, uh, and he, he sees not only uh, his own grave, uh, but the, little, the grave of little tiny Tim, um, he, he grabs onto the, the, the robe of the, of the spirit and says, Spirit, spirit, kind spirit, tell me, are these things that must be, or are they only things that might be? And um, as he does that, the, um, he, he wakes up and, and finds out that the, the, what he's been grabbing onto is his bedsheet. Um, as spirit, the, the dreams are gone, the nightmares are gone, and it's Christmas Day, and he hasn't missed it, and suddenly he starts acting uh, in a very different way in terms of, of money and possessions and his whole life, um, and uh, it's a conversion story. So I think that's that's I think that's where where what we're invited to to do at the end of a story like this um, is to to say is this how it has to end or is there another possible way it could end and at that point we flip back to the acts community and think yes there's another whole way to live there's another whole way to think about money um, and possessions that is. Um, that doesn't end in in uh, in tragedy. So when we do that, we go back to Acts four, and right after Acts four comes Acts five, and you knew we were going to get there eventually. Um, this is the story of Ananias and Sapphira. Um, so let's read the story, and then we'll. Uh, it's a great story. Uh, Luke Luke, uh, as I said, Acts is something of a Christian novella. It's written to make points. It's also to educational points it's also written to entertain so live into this story as a as an, a story of entertainment um and i think you'll find it easier to handle um the, the some of the facts in the story so all right but a man named ananias so this is what barnabas did we just heard about that uh, but a man named ananias with the consent of his wife sapphira sold a piece of property with his wife's knowledge he kept back some of the proceeds and brought only a part and laid it at the apostles' feet. Ananias, Peter asked, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back part of the proceeds of the land? While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, were not the proceeds at your disposal? How is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? You did not lie to us, but to God. Now when Ananias heard these words, he fell down dead. And great fear seized all who heard of it. The young men came, wrapped up his body, carried him out, and buried him. Three hours later, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. Peter said to her, Tell me whether you and your husband sold the land for such and such a price. And she said, Yes, that was the price. Then Peter said to her, How is it that you have agreed together to put the Spirit of the Lord to the test? Look, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out. Immediately she fell down at his feet and died. 
When the young men came in, they found her dead. So they carried her out and buried her beside her husband. And great fear seized the whole church and all who heard these things. And it goes on. And many signs and wonders were done among the people through the apostles. Um, um, through the power, through the apostles. Um, and it goes on to tell another story. Now, this little story, as I say, it's a um, think novella, think entertainment as well as uh, a theological point. But notice some things. The sin of Ananias and Sapphira is not keeping part of the property. The, the sin is telling the church uh, and then lying to the Holy Spirit, as Peter points out, um, that they that they that they did that they gave everything that they had uh, sold, um, that they had get, given given all of the proceeds from the property that they sold to the church when they hadn't. So this uh, um, the 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 difficulty here. That's why Peter asks um, Sapphira um, whether you and your husband sold the land for such and such a price. And she and she lies and says what what they had agreed to say together jointly to the church about what it was so that they could get um, credit, glory, whatever um, within the in the church for um, having given the entire amount when they hadn't. So they kept back a piece of the property um, that was, I mean, a piece of the proceeds um, when they said they hadn't, and that's the that's the problem here. As Peter makes it clear, when it when it remained unsold, wasn't it yours? After it was sold, weren't the proceeds at your disposal? You could have um, you could have kept some and given some, and told us the truth. But you you didn't do that. You did not lie to us, but to God. Um, Luke's first hearers, the first readers of this this little story, would have immediately gone back to the story of. The fall of Jericho. So that's where we're going to go. And this, the first mention of the idea of kerem um, in the Hebrew Bible. Um, uh, so let's go back. This is Joshua. Um, Joshua six and seven. complicated idea but you, but you won't really understand the story of Ananias and Sapphira unless you you, you know something about this we're in Joshua um, well about the, the about Joshua 15 good right Joshua 6 about 15 um so this is the, the seventh day. They rose up early at dawn and marched around the city seven times. Remember, seven is the number for, of completion. And at the seventh time, when the priests had blown the trumpets, Joshua said to the people, Shout, for the Lord has given you the city. Um, and remember, Rahab, the prostitute who had um, given comfort to Israel and, and recognized that the God of Israel was, was, on, was going to give the city into, um, into the hands of the Israelites, um, is spared. And then 18 is the key language here. As for you, keep away from the things devoted to destruction. This is kerem. So as not to covet and take any of the devoted things and make the camp of Israel an object for destruction, bringing trouble upon 
upon it. All silver and gold, vessels of bronze and iron are sacred to the Lord. They go into the treasury of the Lord. So the people shouted, the trumpets were blown, the walls came down, uh, Jericho fell to, um, to the Israelites. Skip over to chapter 7. But the Israelites broke faith in regard to the cherem, to the devoted things. Achan, son of Carmi, son of Zabdi, son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah, took some of the devoted things, and the anger of the Lord burned against the Israelites. Now, it's important that we get his whole family tree. You'll see why in a minute, as they have this process of separating out till they get down to Achan to find out who is responsible for doing this. Um, so the um, so then the Israelites go out out into battle um, and lose drastically. Um, they and Joshua I'm at seven six. Joshua tore his clothes, fell to the ground, and prayed to the Lord um, and asked Allah, Lord God, why have you brought us to out here to destroy us? Cut down to seven ten. The Lord said to Joshua, Stand up. Why have you fallen on your face? Israel has sinned. They have transgressed my covenant that I imposed on them. They have taken some of the, the devoted things, the harem things. They have stolen. They have acted deceitfully. And they have put them among their own belongings. So the Israelites can't stand before their enemies. They, they turn their backs to the enemies as, because they're running. Because they have become a thing devoted for destruction themselves. The idea here is that if you have something that belongs to the Lord among your own private possessions when um, you've been told not to do that. Jer Jer Jericho has been given to you uh, because it's holy warfare and the, the, Lord has, the Lord has won the city for the Israelites. Um, uh, but the deal was that they were not to take any of the things that were harem, devoted to destruction um, or, devote, or to, devoted to the Lord's temple. Things that that are that belong to the Lord, they're safe if they if they are where they're supposed to be, and they're trouble when they're where if they're where they're not supposed to be. Um, so um, I will be with you no more, says God, unless you destroy the devoted things from among you. Proceed to sanctify the people, sanctify yourselves, um, make yourselves holy. There are devoted things among you, O Israel. There are kerem things. The tribe that the Lord take, takes shall come by clans. The clan that the Lord takes shall come by households. The household that the Lord takes shall come near one by one. The one who is taken as having the devoted things will be burned with fire together with all that he has for having transgressed a covenant of the Lord for having done an outrageous thing in Israel. So Joshua rose early in the morning and he brought Israel near tribe by tribe. The tribe of Judah was taken. Um, this is What this means is that some... There was some sign from the Lord that this is the, this is the tribe. He brought near the clans of Judah, and the clan of the Zerahites were taken. He brought near the clan of the Zerahites, family by family, and Zabdi was taken. The family of Zabdi was taken. He brought near his household one by one, and Akan, son of Carmi, son of Zabdi, son of Zerah of the tribe of Judah, was taken. One person. Then Joshua said to Akan. My son, give glory to the Lord God of Israel and make confession to him. Tell me now what you have done. Do not hide it from me. And Achan answered, Joshua, it's true. I'm the one who sinned against the Lord God of Israel. This is what I did. When I saw among the spoil a beautiful mantle from Shinar and 200 shekels of silver and a bar of gold weighing 50 shekels, I coveted them and I took them. They now lie hidden in the ground inside my tent with the silver underneath. 
So Joshua sent messengers, and they ran to the tent. There it was, hidden in his tent with the silver underneath. They took him out of the tent, brought them to Joshua, and they spread them out before the Lord. Then Joshua and all Israel with him took Achan with the silver, the mantle, the bar of gold, his sons and daughters, his oxen, donkeys, sheep, tent, all that he had, took them out to the valley of Hakor. Joshua said, Why did you bring trouble on us? The Lord is bringing trouble on you today. And they stoned him to death, burned him with fire, cast stones on them, raised over him a great heap of stones that remains to this day. Then the Lord turned from his from his burning anger, and that place is called to this day the Valley of Akor. That is the Valley of Trouble. He brought trouble upon Israel. Now, this is a horrible story. I'm not recommending that you solve your uh, congregational disputes in this way. Um, yeah. Uh, but what I want you to see is the idea of, uh, understand the idea of Karim, because this is what's going on in, in part in Acts. Um, that if, if you have a community where everyone has agreed to, uh, to do things in a certain way and one person cheats the system, um, somehow the entire system is, is, uh, is broken in a way that is important. Um, so, um, and so let's talk, I mean, the three ways people get into trouble, mostly in church communities, is around sex, money, or power. Um, that makes sense, if you think about it for a minute. These are the places where we are, some of the places where we are um, addicted or uh, could can get addicted, can get uh, get, get confused about what belongs to whom and where it where it goes. Um, I, I, this is one of the advantages of being someone who is not a member of this congregation. I can talk about things in general, and since I know nothing about anything that happens here, um, I can make general comments. And you're not thinking, not assuming that I'm talking about something or someone in particular. I don't have enough information to do that, and even if I had, I wouldn't be doing that. Um, but um, it's, it's, it's just so to be absolutely clear, because every community has its struggles around um, around sexuality, around money, and around power. Um, and when things go wrong, um, those are those are the, the some of the most likely places where a where a community's health, where a community's mental health, and more important, its spiritual health, can be fractured by the act of one or two people. Um, and so that's what's that's I think the best way to read this Joshua story. Um, it's, it's 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 talk about drama. It's certainly dramatic. If you were staging it, you know, each each tribe comes up, each each clan, each each uh, household, and get down to a con. It's a it's a it's a highly dramatic story. And then the penalty, not just himself, but you notice all his family, um, and um, and everything he has is destroyed, so that. He will not be not so that the community as a whole will not be destroyed. Um, this is this is if you see this in you know sort of like Greek theater. You know we watch what happens to Oedipus, and we, and we go oh how horrible that is, um, and we take home a, a feeling of of thinking uh, um, I'm I'm fortunate I'm, that has not happened to me. It could that could have happened to me. I think that's the kind of thing that we. Um, that we are meant to feel when we read a story like this, that it's, um, it's, it's, this is one of those places, one of many places in the scripture where it's, it's less edifying to try to figure out the historical details and the, and the what actually happened question that pre preoccupies us than to hear it as a, 
as a story of warning about the dangers of coveting. So, so poor Akan, um, he's following this, this holy war. He understands the rule that, the, that everything, that's all the spoil is to, supposed to go into the Lord's temple. But he sees this beautiful mantle. Um, and, and, he, and he says, well, I could really use a couple hundred shekels of silver and that bar of gold. Um, that would come in really handy sometime. So he takes them and buries them in, in his tent. And all of Israel is somehow contaminated. This is an idea of contamination. Um, the same thing happens when, when, um, um, something, when some other kind of, of wrongdoing happens in the community and it's not dealt with. There's a, there's a sense of contamination. Um, the one I remember is a, a, a church that I was part of. Um, it was an inner city church, and there was a member of the vestry who owned um, properties where people were living, and poor people were living, and uh, he turned the heat off in the middle of the winter. And uh, there were members of the community, the, the, the apartment house in the as members of the church, and uh, so it was known in the church that this person who was on the on the vestry, the governing board, had done this, and nobody uh, confronted him about it. And so we had a situation where something that um, the, that, that was wrong in the eyes of the community was not talked about or dealt with, and the whole place was contaminated. Every vestry meeting was contaminated. Um, the whole the whole because it wasn't talked about. And it was, if it had been talked about, he would have been, been forced by public opinion to change his practice. But it wasn't. People didn't deal with it, and the whole thing was not. And the same thing can happen with, a, uh, with an uh, inappropriate sexual relationship. The same thing can also happen with inappropriate power relationships, where you have um, one person who's been in charge of something for a long time, and it's not just that they're, that they're good at it, but that they don't want anybody else to be in charge of it. Um, and so um, you have a you have a, a sort of a, a a bottleneck where things can't can't flow and, and things can't can't go well for the community as a whole because of the one person has made a power grab of some kind. And if it's not talked about, if it is if it isn't, then um, that that it's talked it's talked about, but it's not the person involved who could presumably change, who could presumably uh, be converted if if we talked about it. Um, so you know you know more about these things than I do. Um, it's all it's 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 all the what we live with, um, and maybe that's built into some things like your work situation where you can't do anything about it. But the church is meant to be different. So I think these stories are 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 stories of warning, especially the story about the um, Ananias and Sapphira in um, in Acts four in Acts five. Sorry. Um, there, there are stories about how how honesty in the church, how truth telling, um, is uh, is important, and and not not telling the truth about money, in, in this case, but also about power and about sexuality, um, is uh, can can contaminate the community if it's not dealt with. Now, how Peter deals with it is is a bit dramatic. Uh, maybe not quite as dramatic as the Joshua story, but they're um, these are, they're both I think meant to get our attention. Uh, this is 
So please don't hear me as saying you should initiate some kind of a procedure uh, to determine who, who in the community is lying about what and, and that they will um, be shocked to death. I think that's what you, know, you sort of think, heart attack, these people, <laughs> they fell down dead. Or, but I think we're meant to hear the, the, something more like um, the uh, story in Joshua that, that God, um, God will... Um, uh, God will require of the community a kind of holiness. Um, and while we don't need to, to buy into all of the details that Israel will lose in battle if the community isn't holy, that's the, the, the premise of the holy war, um, or that the uh, community in, in Acts would not have grown and been able to do miracles if uh, Ananias and, and Sapphira hadn't died. I don't think, that, I think, don't think that's a valid reading I think instead these are shocking stories meant to um, meant to get our attention, and they do. Um, they get our attention, and then it's an opportunity for us to think again about. So, why is it? Why in the world would you lie about something like that when um, it would be so easy to tell the truth? Um, at least that's what one of the things that occurs to me. Um, so we have just a few more minutes. Let's 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 hear from you and have questions and comments and reactions. Um, this is provocative material, I think. trying to think of one um but he didn't repent yeah um peter i mean peter i guess that's the real story it's peter who denied denied his lord and then goes on to be um the sort of apostle par excellence because he he um the people knew it and, and knew what a burden it was on him um to 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 have that known about himself and he still followed the lord and so he would he would be a prime example of someone who who did uh, something that any one of us could have done. I mean, the community has to be honest about that too. The community has to realize that temptation is real and serious, and that people fall. Um, and so a community a community that has wisdom in this area is going to be um, going to be merciful. Um, there are um, there are there are things in in Paul and in 
um, other, otherwise talking about restoring people to community. Um, but that implication there is that someone in, in at least one place in Paul, um, first in early in 1 Corinthians, um, that a person may need to be expelled from the community um, before they are restored again. And so there are church communities, um, notably the Anabaptist Mennonites, that, that, that practice shunning. Um, it's a, it's a, a hard punishment uh, designed to bring, to, to coerce the, the people to, um, to, to uh, come back under the church's rule. Um, now, I don't know about you, but my thought immediately goes to there are abusive churches, and we probably all know some people who have either come into our have come into our denominations from a, from a, an abusive church and have stories to tell about the abuse of power. And it's harder to confront the person who's in charge if they're the person who's abusing power, um, just like it is at work. So we we know that it's not that, but this is a picture of how it's supposed to work, and so a church that is a church where someone has has sinned does not need it does not need to be the end of the story. We're about forgiveness. That's what that's who we are. Uh, forgiveness of sins in the name of Jesus Christ is to be proclaimed to all nations. That's what Acts is. That's the mission of the of the of the church given at the beginning of the of the book by Jesus. So um, the 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 church is the church is also called to look everybody's called to look in the mirror not just the person who has fallen so i think that it would been it would have been lovely to have a um a chance to rewrite the story of of ananias and sapphira uh to uh to see what would have what could have happened instead and maybe that's part of what we're invited to do here um if they had just owned up and said yeah we we kept it um uh, but of course, poor Akan uh, did do that, um, and it didn't matter. So that may be a difference in in the in in community sensibilities. Yeah. Question. Oh, questions everywhere. I think over here first. I'll come back here. Community of creative nonviolence. Yes. And left them without means. Mm-hmm. And so I don't think, you know, this is all great, but who maybe suffered because. Right. Or who suffered when sometimes when people do these grand gestures and everybody thinks it's so wonderful. But he was also something of a. Yeah. Something of a hustler and a manipulator. Um, so God uses hustlers and manipulators, um, but uh, to do to get some things done for the homeless in Washington D.C. Um, but yes, it's complicated, isn't it? Yeah, right. Comment. The difficulty I'm having is it's demanding. Uh, these people are hiding the fact that they didn't do it at all. Where's the motivation for that? Why do they have to sell their land at all? They already sold the land and made a contribution. What's the sin in not telling the truth? I don't understand that part of it. I think the sin is a breaking of community um, that they had agreed as uh, that that's the that they would do the the work of the Lord as the community perceived it, and that they would make their resources available as needed, 
and then they said that they had when they hadn't. I think that's it was a, it's a sin against the community, but Peter is clear in the story that it's a sin against the Holy Spirit. And you remember the, sin, the, the, the various other things that are said to be sins against the Holy Spirit are, are taken very seriously in Scripture. So, but you read the Scripture, you try to apply it to yourself. And you wonder to what extent that right. Right. And so, so we all come away from these things, I think, uh, asking ourselves, are there, are there things about the way um, I'm doing things that I might want to change? I mean, I think that's what happens. Um, are, have, I put, have I put too much stress on possessions? Am I in danger of coveting, like poor Khan? Um, would, would that danger make me um, take something that wasn't mine? Um, uh, particularly if it belonged to the Lord, um, um, you know the Episcopal Church had trouble with the with the treasure at a very high level taking taking money not all that long ago, eight or nine years ago. Um, it, it can be very tempting, and you hear stories in the paper all the time of people who are in charge of charitable organizations <coughs> that divert money to their own. It's a it's not like it's <coughs> news. Yeah, except that it isn't once they've agreed to give it to the to the church. So I, I hate to be the bearer. We need, of, right, of, it's time to quit, isn't I it? Worry yeah. That people will not be able to get down to service. So thank you very much. Right. We look Good. forward to next week. Thank you. Thank you. Next week will be easier, I think. This is hard stuff.